Um, we're going to talk about um, sin tonight and getting involved in the pleasures of sin while you're on vacation. Amen. And uh, we'll see where it goes from there. James chapter 1, I'd like, I'd like to turn our attention to there tonight. James chapter 1, you can be seated. James chapter 1. How many of you, how many of you have ever played... Well, there was a there was a boy, and he had a particular problem, and he would um, he would kind of raid the cookie jar before dinner, and so his mom. Uh, got after him and said, you know, you can't do that. You got to stop. He said, well, mom, I just can't stop. Just such a temptation. I just can't stop. And he says, besides that, the devil made me do it. Devil gets blamed for so much, doesn't he? So she said, well, son, since uh, you think the devil made you do it, then let's uh, let's look to the Bible and let's look at Jesus and see how how he overcame these kinds of things, because when he was tempted of the devil in the wilderness, he turned to the devil and he said, "What? Get behind me, Satan!" And she said, "The next time you feel this temptation, what I want you to do is I want you to just." Turn like you're turning to the devil and speak to him and say, get behind me, Satan. And you should be able to overcome this temptation. And so the next day she came in a house and she noticed the cookie jar was empty again. And she called her son. She said, son, what's going on? And she said, we talked about this yesterday. I said, didn't didn't I give you good advice as you know, didn't you follow my advice? She said, yes, mom, I did. When, when I felt that temptation to go to the cookie jar, I said, get behind me, Satan. But then he pushed me right into the cookie jar. So I ate all the cookies anyways. Amen. Well, hallelujah, you're supposed to laugh. Okay. Thank you. You play the blame game. I probably won't talk to you for a great long while tonight, although if you had a dollar for every time you heard that, you might be able to help Brother Bozinski in his retirement fund. Amen. Um, 
He won't have to sell so many pictures. Um, but the blame game is where somebody, something happens to somebody and they just turn around and they blame everybody else. We see this, we see this presented in the Bible with, in the very beginning in Adam and Eve where uh, the Lord told Adam and Eve, you can't partake of this tree. You can eat of anything else in the garden, but you can't partake of this tree. And, you know, we know the story. They did that. And the Lord confronted them. And the first thing that happened was instead of Adam taking responsibility, because he, after all, was the head of the household. And um, especially when we're dealing with the Lord, there, there's no sense to try to change any way. God knows everything, doesn't he? So we can't do anything except if we're confronted with something, tell the truth. But Adam, instead of saying, you know, God, it was my fault. I didn't live up to my responsibility. Uh, the first thing he did was blame. And he blamed. He said, well, Lord, it was that woman that you gave me. Don't look at her, John. Okay. That's the worst thing you could have done. He blamed and said, it was that woman that you gave me. And so Eve, when she was confronted, she said, well, Lord, it was the serpent that came down here. And, you know, so the finger pointing started. It's the same story with King Saul when the Lord gave him specific instruction as to how to overcome and, and defeat the Amalekites and totally, utterly destroy them. Uh, he didn't. In fact, we see the Bible. The very first thing that happens was the Bible said that he spared the king. Very first thing, he spared the king. And then it went on from there where they, they spared things. And then he started, when he was confronted with what was going on, he started the blame game. He said, well, it was the people. And they're the reason why we did it. So we need to understand that um, when there's things that are not right in our life, that we need to take responsibility God is not going to, uh, I don't know what other way to say it. He's not going to crucify us, although he is going to hold us responsible. But the Bible does instruct us and say that if we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. I know it's a very difficult thing. To admit to the Lord that you're wrong. But God said, if you do that, I'm faithful and just to, to forgive you of, of what's going on. So I, I want to look in the book of James here tonight. And there's uh, in the first chapter. And we'll go through a few verses and then drop down to, uh, I think it's verse number 13. And, and talk a little bit about that. James chapter 1 talks to us about um, temptation. And it 
refers to temptation in the second verse, and then it refers to temptation again in the 13th verse, and then uh, some results in the 14th and 15th verse. So I want to talk about primarily those two things when it comes to temptation. James started out this book, his writing, by saying to us that he said, I'm a, I'm a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Um, that word servant, we, we know it does not mean a slave, but the Bible does teach us about, about having a servant's heart of doing what is asked us to do, of, of uh, giving ourselves over to the Lord. And he started out this as a servant. Now, you say, what's, what's so remarkable about that, if, if it is remarkable? What's remarkable about that is he could have started it like others started their books, and he could have said, I'm an apostle. It would have maybe lent more credence to his writing. I'm an apostle. A lot of people like titles, um, presumably to uh, let others think that they carry more weight. But he didn't. He said, I'm a servant. Amen. He, he uh, was also like, like John. In the, when John wrote the epistle of John, he said the same thing. I'm, I'm a servant. When Paul wrote to the Philippians and the Thessalonians and to Philemon, he said the same thing. I'm a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. When the disciples and those came and asked who's going to be the greatest, Jesus said the one that serves. And that's not what we're really talking about tonight, but I think it's a, a notable thing how James started this chapter. I'm a servant. And we've got to develop a servant's heart. Amen. Consider, consider this also how he started it, that, you know, he, he was close to Jesus. Uh, and, and he could have said, well, I, I'm a brother. Um, and maybe thinking that it would carry more weight. But he, he started and said, I'm a servant. I'm a servant. Amen. So he, he began writing there in verse number two, and uh, he said, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Uh, the Living Bible says, Dear brothers, is your life full of difficulties and temptations? Then be happy. Um, to regard a thing... When he talks about counting it as joy, it was something that he could rejoice in. It wasn't a matter of giddiness. It wasn't a matter of, you know, I'm so happy that I'm going through this in my life. But it was something that that uh, being a Christian would give you some sense of... Uh, Joy, without for the lack of a better word, uh, to know that you're living for God in the right way, 
that things happen to you because you're living for God. Understand what I'm saying? We don't, we don't necessarily want to go through things in our life, but we're going to. And if we're living a Christian life, it, it's going to, we're, we're going to see more things. And so he says, count it joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Now, I want to, I want to just show us here that there's two different types of temptations that the Bible is talking about here. In this verse here, and then as I mentioned down in the latter verses. So this one here, it is talking about not sin as a temptation. It is not referring to sin, okay? It is not referring to the allurements that would induce an individual to sin. But the word here seems to be used as a word of, of trials. Not temptations as to go out and to smoke cigarettes or to do this or fall in this kind of sin. But the word here is depicted or meant to depict as a word of trials. So count it all joy when you fall into diverse trials. Those trials are there for, for a purpose. Um, we, as we're going to read later on in the scripture, it, it tells us that God does not tempt us. He does not tempt us with sin, but he certainly tries us. He certainly puts things in our life. These, this word is used in the sense of trials, uh, and it could mean by persecution, by poverty, by calamity, things along that line. It was not used to be uh, direct inducements or direct allurements to sin. Okay. What they were doing was it was trying our faith. It was to, to see if we were uh, disposed to live for God, to adhere to the faith of the Lord. Amen. And it, it was to see whether we would stand up and, and do what is right. Amen. In our life. And so it was, it was more to test our religion, to test who we are, to test our character than it was to speak of an allurement to sin. Uh, the Lord does that in our lives from time to time. He tests us. He, he puts us to the test to see if we are who we say we are. Uh, we we look at the story of the feeding of the 5,000 and where Jesus had the loaves and the fish and he came out and he knew what he was going to do. But the scripture says he did this to test them. to See if they had the faith to believe, to see if they were where they were supposed to be at. And so the scripture lets us to know, amen, that we should count it as joy if the Lord is putting us through these things, he's not tempting us with sin, but they're trials to see 
and show that we are who we say we are, that we're strong and we'll continue to live for God. And, and so in verse number three, he says, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. The living Bible says, for when the way is rough, speaking of trials, things that we have to go through, sicknesses, persecution, etc., those things along that line. When the way is rough, your patience has a chance to grow. So that's what the King James Version is saying, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Patience is one of the fruits that comes out of, out of trials. Amen. It, it helps us, amen, to get through things. And so he goes on and he, he says that, let your patience have her perfect work that ye may be perfect and entire Wanting nothing. The, again, I'm going to go back and forth between a living Bible and the King James. So, so let it grow. Let your life grow. Let your patience grow. And don't try to squirm out of your problems. For when your patience is finally in full bloom, then you will be ready for anything. Strong in character, full and complete. So we need to develop this in ourselves. Amen. We need to develop a patience that would allow us to go through situations and not uh, uh, always um, trying to get out of them. Amen. Uh, it needs not bring murmurings and complaining and rebellion, but patience will try to get us over these things. So that we can learn to trust God. We can learn to depend on God. Amen. And it will build in us what needs to be built. Build it up. And that is our character. How many of you think that character is important in a Christian? Amen. I think it's very important in us as Christians. And God does things to help build our character to make it strong. Amen. So people can look at us and say, they're a child of the Lord. Amen. They love God. In spite of what they're going through, they still depend on God. Their faith, their trust is in God. Amen. God doesn't do anything to harm us. We have to understand that. But he does do things to help us to grow. That is, that is what we're supposed to do as Christians is we're supposed to grow. We're not supposed to stay at the same level, but we're supposed to grow in the Lord. And so sometimes he allows things to come to us, amen, that will, uh, that will help us, amen, that will help us to grow. And so uh, he brings these and he wants us to go through them. That his will could be carried about or carried out and that we could become that we could become perfect and entire. In other words, that word entire, amen, comes from a Greek word and it means that we would be whole in every part. 
Amen. That we would have trusted God and depended on God. Amen. And that we would want nothing. Amen. Uh, Acts talks to us about the same word and it says that we would be left in nothing. In other words, that we would be complete in the Lord. Amen. And that he would be able to have his will done in our lives. And then James writes to us and says that if, if, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask, ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. Now, I don't believe it's talking about the same type of wisdom that we read about in Proverbs, where Proverbs tells us that we should seek wisdom. We need to have what Proverbs talks about. But I think this is what this scripture is talking about, and he's saying if, if any of you lack wisdom, what is that? If we lack the know-how as to how to depend on God in our trial, how to trust God in our trial, what we have to do to get through that trial. If we lack that, he says, let them ask of God. Go to God and say, God, teach me, show me what I've got to do. Show me, amen, how I can get through this trial. Give me the patience. Let me know what I have to do to endure or to get through this trial that you're trying to put me through. This perplexity, this uh, disappointment, this bereavement, amen, because he, he wants us again to develop in character. He wants us to develop as better people, amen. And so uh, we've got to ask the Lord how to get through these things. And the Bible lets us to know that the Lord, when we ask him, that he will give to us liberally. He'll give us the ability to get through. Amen. Too many times we pray in trials and we pray, Lord, remove this trial when that's not what God really wants. He wants us to go through it. It's easy to say remove it. That's the easy way out. But God says, I need you to go some, go through some things so that you can become better, stronger more mature Christian in me. And so the, the Bible says that if you lack the wisdom of how to get through it, amen. Um, you know, when we, were, when we were going through the problems with Andy when he was just a boy, um, it wasn't easy. You didn't know which way to go. And, and I found that this scripture was very, very prominent in helping me and, and, and my wife get through the problems that we had to face, do we send them to surgery? People said, well, you just need to trust God and let God take care of it. Well, sometimes God has to put us through things to teach us things in our life, to teach us how to trust him. And when we don't know what to do, the scripture is telling us that we can ask for that kind of wisdom. God, what do I need here in this situation to help me get through this? 
Amen. See what I'm saying? It's different than what Proverbs talks about, about wisdom. Proverbs is very uh, uh, plain when it says we need to have that wisdom in our life. But this here is for particular, for this particular thing. God, give me the knowledge to get through what I have to go through. Amen. And I'll be better when I get through on the other side. I find that many times when when we go to God and he puts us through these things and, and we come out of them, we're not only better, but we're then able to help somebody else. As a former cancer patient, whenever I hear somebody that has cancer, I absolutely know how to empathize with that person. I know what I went through when I dealt with it. And so, yes, God brought me through. But now I'm able to help other people. I'm able to talk to them. I'm able to give them an understanding or try to give them an understanding of, of we don't always understand why God does things for us. Amen. But we can help them to get through what they're going through also in their life. And so God said, if you lack this, just ask me. I'll give it to you. I'll give you the help that you need to get through what you're going through. And then he goes on and talks about, but let him ask in faith, not wavering. I, I want to just read through the living Bible in, in these scriptures here. It says, if you want to know what God wants you to do, ask him and he will gladly tell you. For he is always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. He will not resent it. But when you ask him, be sure you really expect him to tell you. For a doubtful mind will be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. And every decision you then make will be uncertain as you turn first this way and then that. If you don't ask with faith, don't expect the Lord to give you any solid answer. A Christian who doesn't amount to much in this world should be glad, for he is great in the Lord's sight. But a rich man should be glad that his riches mean nothing to the Lord, for he will soon be gone like a flower that has lost its beauty and fades away, withered, killed by the scorching summer sun. So it is with rich men. They will soon die and leave behind all their busy activities. Happy is the man who doesn't give in and do wrong when he is tempted. For afterwards he will get as his reward the crown of life that God has promised those who love him. Now, I want to get down to, to the next verse here. I, I'm not... Those are great verses, and, and we could talk about them. Um, but I, I wanted to talk about the two different temptations here. The first one was trials. The second one, in verse 13, and remember, when someone wants to do wrong, it is never God who is tempting him. For God never wants to do wrong and never tempts anyone else to do it. So in this 13th scripture, 
Let no man say when I am tempted. Okay, this is the temptation that we think about normally when we think about temptation, and that is temptation regarding sin. Verse 2, God, it says temptation, but it is God putting us through a trial. Verse 13, it is temptation from sin, and God will never tempt us with sin. Amen. Never. He won't put sin in our path. Amen. He won't uh, put any kind of anything to induce us to commit sin. Whether it's by complaining or by murmuring or apostasy or yielding to sin, God will not do that. Amen. So as far as the writer was concerned, he was letting us to know that when we're faced with this situation of sin, nobody should charge God that the sin is coming from him. What do you mean? Well, I've heard people over the years say, God allowed me to be in this situation regarding sin. Well, that's not correct. God didn't allow you to be in that situation because he doesn't tempt with sin. Okay, if you if you got caught in the act of adultery, he didn't allow you to get put in that compromising situation. You did it by yourself. He doesn't tempt us with sin. Or people have said over the years, I've heard, amen, that he could have stopped me. Yeah, God could stop us all. He could stop us from breathing if he wanted to, but he doesn't. He's given us a free will, a free choice to choose as to what we're going to do. He gives us direction as to how to go in the right way. He tries to guide us. He tries to keep us in the right way. He tries to keep us on the right path. But ultimately, we are the one that makes the choice as to what goes on in our life. And so you can't say he could have stopped me from doing that. He could have. But he won't. Because he told us that we have the choice. And so we can't, we can't look at him and, and we can't lay it to God's charge and say, Lord, this was you. Amen. Um, because God does not tempt us with evil. He does not tempt us with sin. He does not put sin in our path so that we can make a choice from him to either live for God or to sin. He doesn't do that. If sin comes in our path, it's not from God. I know I'm saying the same things over and over again, but I'm trying to get it through to us here tonight. It's not from God. Amen. It's not from God. It says temptation in verse number 14. Temptation is the pull, the living Bible, is the pull of man's own evil thoughts and wishes. Amen. So when we're tempted, we have to understand, number one, it's not of God. So then where does it come from? It comes from us.
say, oh, no, that, that can't be. Well, the scripture lets us to know that sin comes from where? The heart. It lets us to know that that's where it comes from. It's down there. And if it's not corrected, if it's not taken care of, if it's not removed, if it's not put under the blood, the scripture says what, what is in a heart will eventually come out of the man and defile the man. Talking about sin. And so it didn't come from God, it came from us. How does that happen? Well, there's three ways that the enemy gets at us and brings sin to us. Amen. John tells us those three ways is the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I understand we're living in a different era, a different day, than when even that scripture was written, and we're living in a different time than even when things happened in the Old Testament, but it still all boils down to these same things. That's nothing new is how the devil works. He still gets us to lust with our eyes. The children sing a song, and it's so true, but it is so powerful, simple, but powerful. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Why? Because the eyes are the window to the soul. And when it gets taken in, it goes to the heart. And if it's not taken care of, okay, if it's not taken care of, it will produce the result of sin. <clears throat> now, we can't walk around with total blinders on ourselves so we can't see anything. But if you're in the middle of, of watching a movie... And that movie is turning bad. Do you think you should continue to watch it? Well, I'll just watch it a little longer. Well, I'll just watch it a little longer. Well, I'll just watch it a little longer. And all the time, these things are going in. And they're taking root. And so... You know, we, we, we commonly, when we talk about lust and lust of the eyes, we commonly talk about a man looking at a woman or vice versa and lusting after them. And then, and then they end up in sin. Um, you have to remember there's still a step in between that, and that's the heart. You know, if you see something and you have a bad thought, what you ought to do is get rid of the bad thought so that it doesn't take root. Because if you leave it, it will continue to grow. And recognize that the sin is not in the original thought. The sin is not in the original viewing. The sin is allowing it to take root. When the scripture tells us here that when lust hath conceived, it brings forth sin. 
And so, so many times I know the devil tries to get at us. And he tries to put things in. Oh, you saw, you looked at that and you're a sinner and this. Okay, we, we can't close our eyes and we can't not see everything that there is in the world. But we certainly can do something about not allowing it to remain in our heart. Because it's when lust is conceived, when we allow it to stay down there, when we allow it to breed, amen, it takes hold and then it brings forth sin because Matthew tells us that what's in the heart is going to come out and defile the person. And God does not tempt us with sin. Amen. He does not tempt us with sin. So how do we know if it's a temptation or a testing? How do we know where we're at? Verse 2 or verse 13? Well, temptation, temptation is something that the person will enjoy. A testing is something that they will detest. A temptation is easy. Testing is hard. Temptation is satisfying to our desires. A testing is sacrificing our desires. A temptation is pleasant. Attesting is not as pleasant. Just a few things to let us know whether we're where we're at. Temptation, testing. Amen. Temptation or testing. And so the scripture talks to us and says that we need to be careful. Amen. That we don't blame God when it's temptation because he's not going to tempt us. It's our own lust that brings us to that point. And by not removing that, you know, repentance is not just a one-time deal in the life of a Christian. I know the scripture says, they asked Peter, what must I do to be saved? The first thing he said was repent. We've got to repent of our sins, don't we? There's no question about it. We've got to turn our back on that. But repentance is an ongoing process in our life. So I go through a day and I'm having a bad day. How many of you have ever had a bad day besides me? And from time to time, now, this wasn't, this wasn't sinful bad, but it, it'll illustrate my point. This morning, Avery and Jack have been staying at our house, and, and to our pleasure, we've had them there. Amen. But this morning, Avery asked me to go pick up Angie because they had their P7 club early before school, and I said, okay, no problem. So I've been taking her to school every morning. And uh, this morning we're about to turn onto uh, Angie Street. I have no idea what the name of the street is. I'm, I know where to get everywhere, but I don't know names of streets. So if, if you ask me, 
how to get someplace. I can tell you exactly how to get there, but I'll tell you, you got to turn left here and you got to go three more streets and turn right there. And if you ask me the street names, I can't tell you, but I'll get there. So this morning I was about to turn left and there was a person coming in the other direction and they had their bright lights on. And I, I said something out loud. And I said, you stupid person. And Avery said, what? <laughs> now, that wasn't close to sinning. Get my point here. I could have said something else. You blankety blank. I said stupid. The point is, there's times I'm around cussing all day long. I hear it on every meeting I go to, almost everybody I talk to, all the time. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that I'm so righteous and holy and perfect that when I get angry, certain things don't cross my mind. Because they do. But when that happens, number one, I've got to check myself immediately. Number two, I've got to get somewhere by myself soon and I've got to talk to the Lord and say, God, I understand these things are bombarding my mind. I don't want them there. Please help me to get rid of them. Okay? There's been times where I've been angry. I'm just being transparent here. I think all the rest of you would probably be just as transparent. Okay? If, if we're all honest with each other here. There's been times where words almost, you know, you're in the middle of something and everybody's saying, and words almost come out, and thankfully the Holy Ghost is with us and he helps us. But I don't want them there. I don't want to say, oops, that was too close. What I want to do is go to God and say, God, help me. I don't want them to breed in my heart. I've been around Christians before and we'll be working here or there and, and all of a sudden uh, something will happen and curse words will come out. And the next thing they say out of their mouth is, oops, that slipped. To me, that's no slipping because that's what the scripture says. When lust hath conceived, it gets in the heart. And when it gets in the heart, what's in there is going to come out. I don't want it to remain in my heart. I know things that the devil brings and puts in front of my eyes. And I hear with my ears. And I've got to ask God sincerely, God, help me to overcome these things in my life. Because I want to be a person of good character. I want to be a person of integrity. I want to be a person that is known as a true Christian.
Amen. And it takes work. And so my point to us tonight is when these things come to us and they're going to come to every single one of us here tonight. The enemy wants you to fail. He wants you to fail. And so when they come, it really shouldn't be of a great surprise. And we really shouldn't beat ourselves up to the point where we feel we're just worthless. But what we should do is recognize what's happening and go to God and say, God, I need your help on this matter. And God will be there to help us. And he concludes this part of this scripture here. I know James is quite longer. And there's many more scriptures after this one. But just these few scriptures that we read here. He concludes it and he says, do not err, my brethren. The Living Bible says, don't be misled. Too many people tell you, it's okay. It doesn't matter. It does matter. It does matter. Living for God matters. Amen. And we should do as best as we can. We're human. I understand that. I'm not trying to downplay anything here tonight as far as spirituality goes. I'm just trying to be transparent here tonight. Rubber meet the road kind of thing here. We all face things in our life, but it does not have to turn to sin. There's a space in between the lust and the sin. And that space is where we can ask God to help us and say, God, don't let this come about in my life. And so it says, do not err, my beloved brethren. And the scripture talks to us and tells us that if a brother is overtaken in a fault, if somebody does make a mistake, that's not the time to pounce on them. And to throw stones at them and to say, I knew that they couldn't live for God. The scripture tells us if he does make a mistake, we need to go to that one in the spirit of meekness. And we need to help restore that person back to where they need to be in God. That's why all of us are important. To each other. We really are. Somebody's always going to be watching you. Somebody's going to be looking up to you. Somebody's going to be following you. You have to understand you're not an island by yourself. Your life, like it or not, 
your life affects other people in ways that most of us can't even comprehend. I've had people come up to me 20 or 30 years later and say, Brother Dibble, thank you. For what? 20 years ago, you spoke into my life and it changed me. 30 years ago, you were my counselor and you helped me get established on the right path. I've never forgot that. Thank you. Thank you for doing that. We don't know how our life is going to affect somebody else. And so he said, don't err, my beloved brother. Amen. So I, I hope this helps us tonight. I know it was very, very simple message here. Uh, but there's some great things here that we can learn from. And uh, I, I think that all of us really want to do the best we can for God. Amen. And, and it takes work. It takes work. Amen. You're not going to get good at something without working at it. Amen. So thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate it. Amen. Uh, I'll conclude with this tonight. <clears throat> Since my knee surgeries, uh, my family's been after me. Dad, you got to go to the doctor. La, la, la. So I, I've been going. I went today. 